NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Woo! The five-star reviews are in, and it's confirmed. SaveWithConrad.com can save you thousands. Jimmy E. writes that we saved his family more than $1,000 a month. James S. says we saved his family more than $1,200 a month. But how much can you save? It's free to find out right now at SaveWithConrad.com. But if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, or even worse, if you're in a 30-year loan, it's not a matter of if we can save you money, but a matter of how much at SaveWithConrad.com. Hello, wrestling friends. I'm Matt Coon, and this is the Gentleman Villain Podcast with his Ooh. lord. That's right. The head, of the, the head of the Black Bull Combat Club. Are you here yes. already, Mr. Regal? How are you doing today? I'm wonderful, thank you. How are you? Yeah, it's good. It's it's one of those questions you talked about last week where where I ask, but I don't really care. I'm just like, you're not caring. You know, you couldn't care to talk. I'm just waiting to get to the you next thing. Couldn't, you couldn't care to talk. You just want to get on with this show. <laughs> you want to get on with this show so you can go off and do whatever you do. Here's I know. <laughs> Think I, you, oh, you Americans are the worst for it. We are. Hey, how are you doing? How's the family? How's the kids? You couldn't give a toss about what I'm doing. Doesn't mean a thing. You we're don't just, care. We're just filling time. Long, but just filling time up. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what's yeah. not filling time these days is the Black Bull Combat Club. You know, no, recently, we're not. No. Uh, a, a week ago, a, a week and a half ago, a great match with Dax and Claudio. And then yeah, that also was, that was wonderful to actually be at ringside. You know, a lot what of is times, the difference? Why, why, why are you at ringside at that match? But although the other matches you go to, right? I'm going to I'm going to be as honest as an old rogue can be on this podcast, and I have been, I think, for the last whatever amount of months we've been doing this. Um, too many people at commentary. There's a lot of. People I'd have been sat there. on the front row if I if I tried to add another chair to that commentary team. <laughs> If you've got Caprice there as well, and then Chris as well. Oh, there like, you go. Right, yeah. so you've got, there's, there's like, you know, we've got a bleeding conga line there. If you, yeah. you get one more, one more person, we never, there's no, nowhere to go. I'd have, been sat, I'd have been sat across the other side of the stage. You know, that, I wouldn't that, have been able to see the monitors. That's why I was there. That, that, you know, but, I, was that, I was thinking there was some deep-seated psychological reason, but. The reason is there's just not enough chairs. And what, do, what, what can I tell? Once once they're going, what can I tell? No, it's just so people. It's it's actually nice just now and then because mm-hmm. I know you know again, everybody has different viewing habits. It, I often ponder. Do you ponder a lot, Matt? I, I do ponder. I, do, I, I do like ponder. a ponder. Yeah, I like a ponder. Yeah. People may people have different viewing habits. People have different ways they. They consume their product now. You might be watching the show while you're at work on your phone without the sound on because you're trying for your boss not to hear you as far as the, the show that I'm on. Um, you may be, I, I have no idea what you're doing. You may have got up to go and make a cup of coffee or a cup of tea if you're in England. I'm on the on. I walk out with anybody from the BCC, and then I go to commentary. I don't think I'm anybody, so why would anybody know that I'm even on commentary if they, if they might not be paying attention? Because a lot of people seem to do a lot of things with the phones and that nowadays. Yeah, They're not focused in as much. 
So I think it was very smart of um, the person in charge to send me out with Claudio just to let the audience know I'm not dead. Yeah. You know, because there's, there's, um, you, you never know at my age. And all that I've gone through, just see me out there actually moving because that's it. The thing, really, at my age now, I, I could have died, and they could have just been piping in old stuff because I repeat the same stuff all the time. <laughs> well, they you, could you, just have been pipe, piping my voice in. You for got all, a you know? different flirty line with Excalibur every single time, though. So well, that's that, just that one thing me. is different every time. And people talk a lot about this blossoming love story between you. And, no, there's no. And it's the just, just me. <laughs> you know, I, I just I, I have. Yeah, fun. There's that. There's that little impish part of me that um the when William Regal turns on there's and I I, I like it because I, I even I always had that part of my character is is some advice for, for it's not advice it's just the, ever since I was Lord Stephen Regal there was always you didn't know about the, there was a little bit of we we call it camping. The version of camping in America is different to the camp in England. You don't camp in England means you're not quite sure, but it, it's it's flirtatious. It's it, and, it, and it could be taken as somebody who is um, not heterosexual. I'm going to try and be as polite as I can here, but. There's, and a lot of the characters that I studied growing up and the character uh, British and, and British people in general portrayed in American movies, you just don't know. And I found it as a useful tool to, because I have, I'd like to think that I have no phobics or isms. I used to always have a bit of that in my act to dig people out. When I say dig people out to find out what they're really like in real life, or if it's an audience member, I would, if when I used to wear my robes, I would just, if I thought somebody was being loud and obnoxious, I would stand there and just stare at them lovingly because it shut them up more than anything I could share. Then you find out, okay, I know what I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with somebody with, with a doesn't like certain people. And so I'm going to play on that more just to sure. make them. I, I like to play on people's insecurities. Sure. It helped me as a villain. So it's just a bit of a thing that I do to, because, and, and, and I won't say it, but I've had a few people, why are you doing that? And I think, why are you bothered? Right. Is, why are you bothered that what, what I'm saying? What, what, why do you, why does that, why does that, you have to even bring that up? That tells me more about you than it does me. And it's cool about 2022 is that a lot of people are embracing it and love it, you know? Right. And, and, I, and I am happy with that. Yeah. But, that, but the, see, that is a great thing in, to see in society that people are just taking it for what it is. Right. Right. But I do see people who don't. And, and I, Again, stop saying that again. Reminder, on my occasional look at Twitter, I get some things people saying that are, oh, right. I, I won't unfollow anybody, but you're muted because you have a problem with 
certain groups of people and I don't. Sure. And so you are gone from my life. But and and like you said, that side has always been part of your character. It's always been part of I my character. You, you you'd give mm-hmm. the most like blood curdling uh interview and at the end you'd say sunshine. And I'd be like, what the hell? Like what is that? Like how do you go from that to all right, sunshine? And and to me that was just a great juxtaposition. It created a, a full character, you know, to be like, right. both ways. And and if you go back and watch people um I'm giving away some of my people but you go back um, and watch Terry Thomas was a in a lot of Disney movies he was a stereotypical villain a British villain if you go back and watch David Niven he um, he was a very famous British actor there's always a Americans think that there's a I won't say who but there's a certain major person in this industry once said to me, you know, you limeys, you're all a bit light in the loafers. <laughs> so I, I've, I found that hysterically funny right. and, and I, I just, I've Lean always, in. I've leaned into it. Mm-hmm. And so it's just become a thing that I do. And, and I also do want to see, cause I, I want to say this out and this is, I, I've got no reason I, I if you know me, I, I don't give out praise a lot. And I don't need, I certainly don't suck up to anybody. Um, that could be mistrue, couldn't it, the way I just said that? Um, Excalibur is excellent at his job. He has to, and, and, and Michael Cole is excellent at his job. But they, they have so much Excalibur, Excalibur gets a lot of credit because of his being able to talk constantly about wrestling, but they have to do so much and lead so much traffic and all these announcements that they have to do in a, for whatever amount of time they're set out there, they are excellent. And it's just me because I've been an announcer knowing that if you get somebody like me come out and lighten the, the mood for a minute, it can take him and, and, make him feel a, a little, even if it's only for 20 seconds, take that burden off him for a second. And, and he, if it, might, it makes him smile or it, whatever it does, I can take that burden off him because I know what it's like to sit and do four hours of TV in a row or whatever it may be. And if it, that's my little pat on the back to him just to make him not, even if it's for, 20 seconds, not just to, to go oh, and, and smile. And, and because it's become a thing and, and then he can get on with the rest of his job. If everybody took that, like, like, okay, what's my job? And let me just try and be nice to the people around me in whatever form and way it is, life would be a lot better for everybody in the world. Right? So. Absolutely, and and it it goes to show with with the um, you know, with wrestling and and there's always need for a little bit of lightheartedness that falls in the right yes. spot. Yes, and it works and, perfectly with my character, doesn't it? I don't, I don't want to interrupt you and, and anybody listening. When I ever interrupt Matt, please don't take it the wrong way. It's just that if I Matt finishes his sentence, I forgot what I'm talking about, and that's I, I don't hide from the fact I've had, you know. I had a, a 
serious accident in 2018 and I had two bleeds on the brain. And if I, I it's very, I have a short term memory thing. Long term memory is ridiculous. That's why it, it, I, I mean, I mean, ridiculously good. That's yeah. why we can do this show. Short term memory isn't. And so I apologize because I am anything but I am a, it says on the, 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 the tin there, I am je- a gentleman. That's an expression you don't hear in this country, isn't it? You don't. What it, it's a great expression, though. You, some in, in England, they say, you, whatever it says on the tin, which means, you're getting what it, what it says on the tin. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. So on the tin, it's on, on the tin, it, right? Yeah. So yeah. You, you're getting a gentleman villain. Like villain thing is a thing that I did at work, but gentleman is something that I'd like to consider. All that I matters when I when I'm not here anymore, and people have asked me this: What do you want to be remembered for? I go that I was a gentleman. That's it. I don't care about anything else that I, I was polite. Unfortunately, because of this brain thing, I can come across as impolite because I butt in sometimes. I, I, but it's just because I'm on a train of thought, and if I don't, I forgot completely in the short term what I was talking about. And, I, and I'm, I'm honest about that with everybody I talk to and out there. It's the same as the thing when you see me is sometimes because of my lip. My lip drags on my, my teeth because there's no there's nerve damage in my face. I'm honest about it. And, 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 you know, I can't be honest about everything I've done in my life because I can't. But these things I can be. And that's it. Well, so what was you saying, Matt? Well, I'm sorry, I was going to we, say we our, our topic today is uh, Mr. Regal in Japan. Mr. Oh, Regal wrestling back in to Japan. Japan again. But I do want to say one more thing about the Blackpool Combat Club in that, you know, for the most part, you know, the guys in Blackpool Combat Club are cheered and they're good guys. And I think you walking to the ring with Moxley, that presentation is amazing. Ooh. But what do you do with the manager of a good guy? He's not going to cheat. He's not going to do a lot of the things. So you going right to the table. It's like a it's it's kind of a new thing. And it really works for a manager who's managing something that the crowd is someone that the crowd is behind. Well, the great thing about anybody in our group and I hope this is passing on to me. None of us could care le- less a, j- a mere jot whether we're booed or cheered. If people cheer us, great. If they boo us, great. We'll lead into that. Uh, going out with John Moxley the other week and getting booed out of the building in Chicago. Fantastic. Like music to my ears. I haven't, I haven't had that. And I haven't had that for, what, probably... It's been a long time since probably, what, since I was 41 or mm-hmm. two. So it was wonderful because that's what I thrive on. The word on the tin, villain. Yeah. I like me. I, I went out my way to get booze and I haven't because after a while in WWE when I was still wrestling, people were cheering me because I think they were just happy I was still alive. Right? I wasn't dead. And it's so, going to know when, when that time the, comes again, and it might yes, come again, you know, I, that those muscles are ready to go. You have those no villain idea. Muscles. <laughs> no idea. If I, if I ever have to do that again, and I, I don't know. I, I hope, right, this is going to be a weird thing to say. I hope it doesn't. 
And the only reason I hope it doesn't is not because of me. I hope it's the person I'm walking out with is getting the booze if they want them. It's not about me. None of this, this entire, I've been fortunate enough to be asked to be a part of this Blackpool Combat Club. And for anybody who hasn't listened before, I didn't come up with a name. John Moxley came up with a name and I'm like, why would you want to? Well, because if you, okay, well, I'm always happy to give Blackpool um, a shout out because everything good in my life, as far as since I left school, has come out of Blackpool, whether it be wrestling, my family, the entertainment that I learned, the people that I'm still friends with, Everything came out of Blackpool. Blackpool, um, Blackpool made me. I wasn't born there, but I moved there when I was 16 and Blackpool made me. And I will always have dear, connect, uh, an incredibly strong connection with that town. And I, I will promote it and do anything I want. So, yes, that is a nice thing as long as it lasts. And it's great that we have this enduring notion of Blackpool now. We have an increased notion of Blackpool now because of the Blackpool Combat Club. This thing, this place mm. you love so much, that means so much to you, is now just parlance among all wrestling fans, which is kind of a cool thing, huh? Yes, and and, and I, I, I've, I've said this before, I think, but well, if not on this show, and definitely from the moment I got to America in 1993, people have tried to ch- change where I came from. And again, I wasn't born in Blackpool, but from I, I was going there every weekend when I was. I've gone there every. I've gone there weekends when I was, and time from when I was. I don't know the earliest memories I've got, because uh, it's a, a vacation. Anybody who doesn't know it's a vacation resort. Uh, but from fifteen, I was going up there every weekend. That's how I started wrestling. Uh, well, that's how I got into the wrestling properly. And then from 16, I moved up there six weeks after I left school. And I've lived there. uh, I still consider it home. It's never going to change. I lived there for nearly 10 years before I moved to America. The last four years of my my existence, uh, I had a house there and for two years after I'd moved to America because I didn't know if I was going back, going to stay in America. if I move back there now, I would live in the area. It's it's where I'm from, and it's what made me. And if it was an incredible place to grow, to be around as a teenager, from so many things that have influenced me, from wrestling to entertainment to music to everything, everything. I'm, I'm meeting my my wonderful wife, who I've been with since I was 17, and my two first. Two sons were born in the Victoria Hospital uh, in the maternity ward in Blackpool. I want to give a shout out to them. Anybody who can help them in any way, shape or form, because they're National Health Service and they always need help, please help them. anybody in the area. The the, the maternity hospital at, uh, and the, the Victoria, the, the maternity ward at the Victoria Hospital in Blackpool. Um, my two eldest sons were born there. Um Blackpool means the world to me and everything that goes on there. And it's just, now that it's getting, not only is it Lord Stephen Regal from Blackpool and it was William Regal from Blackpool, now there's 
Blackpool Combat Club and there's people wearing T-shirts with it on Blackpool. Without whatever you hear about me, Blackpool is the, the thing that made me, right? We have a thing in Blackpool. Do you, have you ever seen when you have a, a stick of candy and you break it, it has a word through it, and when you break it, it still has the word through it? Have you ever I'm, seen anything I'm like that? I'm not sure. Man? I'm not sure. That might be... In Blackpool, it's called Blackpool Rock, uh, and it's a it's a stick of candy, and it's a skill to make it. It starts off huge thing, and they put the letters in there, and then they stretch it out, and it becomes sticks of candy, and it has the word whatever word. But if it's in Blackpool, it says Blackpool, and then Blackpool underneath, and you can break it at any point, and it still says Blackpool. Well. In different parts of the world, there's candy like that with whatever they want in it. You can have anything you want, any, any word you want put all the way through a stick of candy. Um, as like 98% of it made in Blackpool, um, Blackpool Rock. And so that's why I'm like, you snap me in half and the words Blackpool are going to be written right the way through me because everything that's good in my life with the, the exception of me, obviously my father and my mother and being born and it, where I came from, it, it, all the wrestling, all the everything good starting and, and ends, it, it will end, hopefully end in Blackpool. And when I'm no longer here, I'm not going to have, this is going to be a weird thing to say, I'm, I'm no interest in having a funeral, but there's going to be a few of my ashes, there's, a, there's orders to have a few scattered off the the end of North Pier in Blackpool. So that's, it all starts and ends in Blackpool for me. Well, absolutely. And one of those stops in between the beginning and end of Mr. Regal was Japan. And that's what we're going to talk about this week. We talked about it before, but we just got to Japan because you wanted to set some backstory. Yeah, to, there was a lot of backstory to it all. The first time you saw Japanese wrestlers, I'm like, did, were you aware of of Tiger Mask? You're like, you mean Sammy yeah. Lee, who I saw, you know, like, and and I, you know, a lot of us had no idea of the amount of crossover that took place, or yeah. even that these excursions, yeah. these excursions that we see uh, a Takeshita do. Now we're having it in the '70s with people yeah. like uh, Sammy Lee. Uh, do you know I forgot Tiger somebody? Who's that? I forgot a major player who who um, came. Again, it was before my time in the wrestling, but a major player who came either right at the end. I'm, I'm not sure if there was a crossover. I can't remember. I'm going to, I seem to give a shout out every week to me. Look, look at me. A shout out. That's an American thing, isn't it? I'm going to have to stop that. <laughs> I don't like that. I'm going to, I'm going to mention, I'm going to mention John Lister and Tony Urshaw because they, they're on Twitter and they are the, there might be more people, but they're the two people that keep the strength of the business as far as um, actual official days and dates. I just know wrestler stories and my time in it. And it's sometimes the timelines are off and that they, they keep all the official things. So thank you fellas, because if you follow them on Twitter, there's, there's a lot of great British history and, and, and posters. The, the great thing is, is when they put posters up. Brit Britain had the most fantastic wrestling posters in, in all the way up through the early 90s. 
um, and they put stuff on there all the time and matches and, and, and history pieces and whatever else. There's another lad from New Zealand, um, and, and I apologize. I think it's OST, OST is his thing. He puts up the posters, right? Does he? Does it, well, there's a lot of them put up the posters, but, he, but they all put up stuff. I love uh, he, he's, fr- he, he's from Britain, um, but he moved to New Zealand, I think. I hope, sorry, if, again, I, I don't want to get, um, apologize if I'm not get, getting this right, but I think that's what his, his deal is. But they, Britain had the most wonderful posters and, and I'm on lots of posters. And it's, it's just nice to, and, and to see these every day somebody puts something up on Twitter. I just look at it a few times a week and then see all their stuff. I skip a lot of, you know, I, I use it as a, to keep in touch with certain friends in Japan, Japan being one of them. Uh, where we can DM each other and it's all translated and all that. They haven't got to worry about anything else. And then um, the to follow certain people who put gifts on there and and a lot of them put old British and European and Japanese stuff so I can go back and look. But they, uh, the people I mentioned before, they put on the posters and the history and they do a fantastic job and thanks fellas for doing that because it would be lost because there's us wrestlers uh, telling our thoughts, but we were in the middle of wrestling. We didn't have time to take down notes and know exactly what the eight days of what, and because it becomes another day on the job. You know, if you're working 20 odd days a month, (laughs) that's, Chris Jericho, I've I mentioned on before, did the very incredibly smart thing that you sh- any young wrestlers listen should all do. Every single day that you work, make a note of where you've been and what's happened. Because one day you'll wish you had, and I wished I had, and I didn't. And, and Jericho I turned that, the, he turned that into money, into that, into money, into a yeah. book, and then it's yeah. great that it. And and you should. I I've been telling people that smart because since I met him. Like he told me that, and I've been telling people, anybody, whenever I end up with them, write down everything you do because there's so much that I've done. That I have to have other people remind me of, you know, and there's things in Japan that there's a thing showed up recently, you know, it, we'll end up talking about that, that, mm-hmm. that, that just it just lost to, to, to memory to, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, I did that. Oh, yeah, I did that. that. But until these matches turn up on and somebody bring, you know, because you don't know. So... Thanks, fellas, for putting all the, these wonderful posters up. Um, and the clips. And the clips. And, and yeah. the, the because it, without that, we, we, we'd all, well, we, not all, but I would be lost. Um, so thanks. Well, we have something else to say thanks for. You know, we are thankful for having a lot of great sponsors. And Ooh, this, yes. this, Ooh. this particular sponsor came the way of, I believe, Mr. Regal saying, this is something that I use all the time. And all I would the time. Love to get them on the show. And I'll talk about them a little bit, but let's have you talk about look, carnivore snacks are the new on-the-go snack for meat eaters uh, made with only two ingredients. What are those ingredients, Mr. Regal? Are you aware of what those two ingredients are? Very high-quality, grass-fed and finished, regenerative farmed meat. Yes, sir. And... A product called Redmond's Sea Salt. Redmond's Sea Salt is from, that's it. There's nothing else in them. And 
Redmond Sea Salt is from the, the salt mines of Utah, uh, which is the purest and most mineral-laden salt that you can possibly buy. And it is five times cheaper than any other sea salt you can buy from anywhere, but it is the highest quality. And so this product is a fantastic if, – if you understand what good quality meat is, this is the product for you. If you understand the nutritional value and what it, you can do, what, what meat will do for your body, and, and I'm sorry to any of the people who don't eat meat, I'm not going to get into any of that. But if you understand what, you know, that we are a carnivore species and you need good quality meat and you don't want it full of sugars and marinades and nonsense that are no good to you, carnivore snacks is the the best product on the market. It can look like it, it, it is a lot more than your regular beef jerky, but you are getting in every bag one pound of whatever the product is, of, of the best quality meat, and it is slowly reduced to five ounces. That can last, that is there's no nutrition lost in that meat whatsoever. There's no added sugars. There's no added chemicals. There's no nothing because I'm, I don't care because I don't know no, nobody. What, what are they going to do? The, the, the beef jerky people are going to attack me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Most beef jerky, you might, you might as well be eating candy. Yeah, it, there's so it, much sugar in it. There's so many marinades. There's so many chemicals. There's so much nonsense. Unless you're, you know, so this product is, you, you have to weigh up sometimes what's good for your health. I'm a, I eat a lot of high quality grass fed and finished meat. And this is the best product on the market without doubt. And I eat it all the time when I'm away, when I'm at home, I eat actual meat, um, different types of meat. But when I'm on the road, I have to weigh up the pros and cons of what I'm getting. And this product, I totally endorse and totally use. And I'm going to say it because there's no – if you look at the price, sometimes it's – it's you go, hang on, but I can get that for beef jerky. Yeah, but what do you want to put in your body? I've gone through some major, major health issues. Major. We've gone through them in this show, and I have – lived off meat and a little bit of fruit and high quality eggs from when I had those and I'm healthier than I've ever been. My blood work is better than it's ever been. I use Redmond sea salt. And so this product is high quality meat, different types of meat and high and, and high quality um, salt because if you eat, you do need some salt. I know there's a myth out there that you shouldn't have salt. If you're having processed crappy food, yes, you don't. It's a different kind of thing. If you are eating high-quality diet, you need a certain amount of high-quality salt, and this is the best salt on the market. So I, I'm giving Redmond's a free plug here, but that's what they do, and – this is the product for you. I, I, when I'm away, I have two two bags of this a day, and it takes some a 
couple of pieces of fruit with me and that's it. I don't <laughs> eat any other because I don't want to eat any. I want to eat quality food. And I, and I look after my body because I have to, because it's, guess what? It's been beaten up and whatever for 30 years as a pro wrestler. So I know what good quality food is and what isn't. So that that's my little bit of it. And this is a great because, product. You know, all these talking points were given, uh, talk about sometimes, you know, with you, you just went over a, almost all the talking points, just talking about how much you love this product. Yes, there are ten different options to choose from, including brisket, ribeye, New York strip, and pork loin. And I'll tell you, you know, uh, my friend Mike Dawkins, who's a you might know him as the gimmick attorney, he suggested this diet to me. He lost a bunch of weight on this diet, which is very heavy on meat, no grains, no sugars. And when I was on this diet, well, I've I've lived off that diet yeah, for I, before I even had my heart surgery, and the and weight it, just came it, off. Like yeah, it, it was it was like, an amazing thing. I need to get back on it, but when I was on it, I wish I had this stuff because I got to my front door, I see a bag, I'm like, free stuff, cool. I open this, that ribeye was, it's it's not, it's it, there's no there's no relationship to jerky. This is like an amazing- No, this, this isn't snack. jerky. It's, this isn't jerky. Yeah, forget you, you forget gotta what try it. It's crispy. It's, 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 it, you see little pieces of marbled fat with, this, with the salt on it. As, a, as someone who likes food, <laughs> and a, I'm not a jerky guy, I crushed those bags. Like, they and for any of you that destroyed, that, yeah. And if any of you that don't know the difference between, uh, again, somebody who's had heart surgery that very few people ever have, that's me. There's a difference between eating bad food and good food. I eat this product all the time, and. It is incredibly nutritious and it is incredibly, it, it is not jerky. It is not beef jerky. This is a full pound of meat into five ounces with all the nutritional value with no added any nonsense. Very thin slices. Very, very thin slices that are yeah. tasty as can be and uh, incredible. So you can make this last several days if you just snack on if if you regularly eat beef jerky you could eat several days i eat a lot of when i'm away so i haven't got to go out looking for good good meat um again i'm going to get death threats from the vegans here and then the, then the vegetarians but I, that's what i do and I, I, my blood work's never been better everything i, I don't want to get in too much in this but i strongly endorse this in this product strongly endorse it it's it's a i've got a few people on this now once they they're like wow i, I wish they'd known about this well i, I said I, I wish i'd known about it but it's only just it's a recent thing so wonderful product absolutely and uh you make sure to visit uh the website carnivore snacks that's s-n-a-x for snacks.com to get to get started and like i said I got I got some free bags to to sponsor it, you know, you know, because we want to believe in what we in what we advertise. And I ordered some more. That's all I'm saying. So if you want to order some more, I made it real easy because I got 15% off when I use the code Regal at checkout, R-E-G-A-L at checkout. And then you too. You know what? Can, actually, can I say something yeah. on the accent? I'm giving these sure. people such a plug. Um when the name Dara Matthews comes up. Just remember, it's me. 
So you might you might remember to give me. A, 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 I'm going to start using my code from my show. Well, our show, not my show, your show, on my orders, so I can get the the discount on it. Because I want, I, I, you know, I'm not the kind of person who's going to. I'm not. I'm not the kind of person who's going to go. Oh, I'm a I'm a wrestler, or I used to be a wrestler, and I have a podcast. I, I, I just couldn't do it. I'd die a shame. Right. <laughs> just right. not that kind of yeah. person. I've got to use my code to get a 15% <laughs> discount off my own product, the products that I use. And it's worth every single penny. Every send, penny. Send, Ooh, send, you know, lamb's you guys, out. They got brisket and lamb out at the you moment. You know, I only got to try like three of them. So if they want to send, uh, you know, all of us, all the samples, whatever. But if not, I'm going to order. I ordered some more of the ribeye and the leg of lamb at uh, carnivoresnax.com. 15% off when you use the code Regal at checkout. And now, Mr. Regal, it is time to talk about some Japanese wrestling. And I want to I want to start out with a question I've always had. You know, um three inches, but you can have the lot. The the whole thing. I get the whole thing. <laughs> that's amazing. That's <laughs> oh, that's just a bit of blue there. Just yeah. for the for the few people that listen that like a bit of blue. You know, and I know that yeah. this, you know, it's funny, people who've heard me on podcasts know I curse a lot, and I know that. But no, we just like keeping a classy on the show. We like yes. keeping a classy. So a blue, that way the blue means more. The less you do it, the funnier it is because, yeah. you know, we don't do it all the time. But no. uh, here's the question I always had about wrestling. I've been a fan Ooh. since 40, 40 years, 40 plus years. And if you're in a ring with somebody of a different language, you guys, and I know you're saying you, you're, there's experience and you can feel it and all this, but how do you, like, how do you do these things like Irish whips and drop downs and, and these, these moves that, you know, this one wrestler does every match, but you know, when to get it in, how do you communicate with a wrestler of a different language that you've never wrestled before, or maybe you never had a chance to communicate with them? Do you have to communicate or is it just, um, so an honest answer is very, it, it, it depends on what time you came into the wrestling industry. Uh, with me, I don't have to communicate with, I know the universal language of wrestling. That's no knocking anybody that come into this from the nineties onwards, because from the nineties onwards, there wasn't the territories. There wasn't the, unless you went to a, a certain place or a certain school I come into this in a very different time and so there was certain things that you, you didn't need to know you, you didn't have to be able to communicate you could just wrestle and or do pro wrestling and so just body people's body motion or certain things that happened in the previous few seconds you knew how to react to that person. As time went on, you need to communicate more. If you are in Japan, usually there was at least one person who could communicate between uh, bet between the opponents. When I was going to Japan, I would say 90 or more percent time the villains and the good guys were in separate dressing rooms 
So there may be a referee that go, well, there was referees that, that spoke English that would go backwards and forwards between the dressing rooms and give, and when I say give, it's like the, the smallest amount of communication so that if you, you knew at a certain point that you would do this, it wasn't as laid out as things become, and that's no knock. I, I know there's people that go, I, I'm not, it's just different now, and I understand that. And I get that it's not back in my day. It's just the way it was. I could do th things, and I knew that, or it didn't matter. If I did something and they didn't react the way I wanted it, I'd just do something else. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. If I if I head mad somebody or snap mad them as Americans call it, and they didn't come up off the floor, I wouldn't bother going back. I wouldn't bank myself into the robs to use the robs as a catapult to knock them down. I wouldn't. I'd do something else. So so it's just an extension of the tradition of of of. The communication it's, it's, that takes it's, place in the Yes, room. it's an app. Wrestling years ago, and when I started, was more of an ad-lib thing. But you all understood certain things that you could just do. And there was certain bits of it that you just knew how to react to each other. As the time went on and the less people worked in so many different places or things weren't uh, and I don't this I don't want this to sound like a, a knock on anybody or a bad thing but from the 90s onwards it, this job became a lot of people getting into and nearly everybody getting into it from wrestling schools or wrestling companies going right you can be a wrestler and then training them that wasn't the case in the 80s. You had to find a wrestler to bring you into the wrestling business and you had to go through whatever you had to go through. It, it was an apprenticeship type situation. It, yes. Anything, right? Yes. And so the communication wasn't as much. Now, if you go back and watch those matches, you go, well, if you're used to modern wrestling, there wasn't a lot going on. And then if you're not me or somebody like me who just understands that you might go, yeah, but back in my day, we didn't do this, 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 and this. Yeah, well, it's just because that wasn't the case then. It wasn't the way it was then. And if I had met somebody and they were coming up, I would back myself into the robes and hit them with something. If they weren't getting up, I would do something else. And it became a thing of, more communication. So the two things that have changed in life is more communication in wrestling, less communication in real life. People don't communicate anymore and problems keep happening because they don't communicate when things first happen and then it gets turned into 10 ended monsters because they go and tell other people, and then nobody actually get, confronts anybody. Wrestling has gone the other way. 
right. where you had very little communication, but you all understood, didn't matter where you were from, from Europe, from Japan, from Mexico, didn't matter, from South America, anywhere, anywhere in the world, you understood the way the body moved and the way certain things happened. And so you could have a match with people who didn't speak any any English or any whatever the language may be. It has become less and less of that, and it's nothing wrong with that. It's just the way it, it, it is. And it makes for sometimes far more exciting wrestling that you can actually, even people who don't speak English nowadays, because there's always somebody there who can translate, not always, but most of the time, um, you can figure out all kinds of things in wrestling to do far more. Or you can have a, which is the, the style that I was trained in, to have a wrestling match with anybody who can't speak. You, you don't have to speak. You can have a professional quality wrestling match with people who can't speak a word of English. And you do not have to speak a single word to them. Knowing as long as they know how to, you know that, and and asking or f- trying to figure out by just, I could just get in there and do a certain few things, and I'm not going to give that away on here to know if this person was well trained or not. And if they weren't, then I would keep it very basic and very simple, and just wrestle them and use different body parts and whatever I needed to do. If I could tell that they were years ago, if I could tell that they'd been well trained, didn't matter what country they came from, and they they understood the the universe, you know how, how the body moves, I could get in there and make it work. Does that make sense? For sure. It, Without me trying to give away every trick. Right. Again, I'm the I'm the 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 magic circle here. I I don't want to give away all my tricks or what, what used to happen, but it it can make, it can make for far more nowadays. Really? I think that's why a lot of old wrestlers get the way there. If you've got the ability to talk to somebody and, or communicate with somebody and you can set things up, and it still doesn't look as good as the way they thought it should look, what excuse have you got? Uh, nothing at all. Well, you have, because it's just, yeah. not, it's just a different day and age. I'm not, I'm not sticking up for anybody, but I can see how people who aren't in this job anymore and don't realize and haven't lived through the changes look at it that way. I don't look at it that way. I just know that the job's changed, and so I change with it. I don't go, oh, back in my day, I just go, okay, the job's changed now. Let's just make it work, which but, is everything. Everything. Right. How many times have I said that on this show? Let's just make it work. Right. Right. I, I liken it to playing music. Like, I don't have to speak the same language as somebody to to play music with them. You know, like, uh, I was in New Orleans. They said, oh, you play bass? I go, yeah. You want to play some songs? I'm sure. Now, I got on stage. They didn't tell me what song they were doing they didn't tell me what key it was in but as i was able to play with them and as i tell my students the number i i I got a base i have a lot of experience i have some knowledge i have some confidence but really in music and i'm i'm guessing this is the same in wrestling it's mostly listening it's mostly paying attention and if you have that ability like if if i see someone is is at a higher level than i am 
I know to listen. If I know someone's below level, like you said, you pay attention, you see that they're not at that level, and you adjust to that. And it seems very similar to music and wrestling in that way. But I also was fortunate enough to be from a teenager around people who've been doing this for 20 years and all knew how to do that and teach me how to do that. You were taught if you've right. ne- why, how can you blame anybody for not being there? No, I wasn't taught right. I was taught by the right people. <laughs> wow. That, that is an interesting distinction. That is- if you yeah. haven't been around those people, how can you possibly know? Unless you are the one. We've said that before. Unless you are just magically talented and nat- naturally good at this. Right. How can you know? This episode of the Gentleman Villain Podcast is, of course, brought to you by our good friends over at CarShield. And, of course, they make it easy and affordable to protect my car from expensive repairs. And that's just for starters. CarShield is the number one auto protection company in the U.S. and offers a protection plan for around 100 bucks a month. The plans cover more parts than ever before, whether your car has 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles. Let me tell you how simple it is to get your car fixed. When you need a repair, you choose the mechanic and CarShield's administrators handle the rest. That's it. You don't have to deal with the paperwork or headaches you're taken care of. Same goes if your car breaks down and you're stuck on the side of the road. Plans through CarShield also include coast-to-coast roadside assistance. CarShield administrators are there for you with rental car options and trip reimbursement at no extra cost to Get coverage today and you'll lock in your price now and it will never go up. That means as long as you own your car, no matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising cost of parts and repairs for your vehicle. CarShield helps protect my wallet from expensive car repairs, and they'll do the same for you. Go to carshield.com slash podcast to start your plan and lock in your pricing forever. That's carshield.com slash podcast. A deductible may apply. So not just people, not just learning the right stuff, but learning from the right people. Yes, learning from the right people at the time that I learned it from. That to that to figure it all out before me, and go from place to place and and wrestle people and and learn a certain skill set that very few people know. There's a few people who, who that I've taught that skill set to that you can go out and wrestle. And I know it's an old wrestler saying, but basically wrestle a chair or wrestle a broom or you know. Um, and and so it just it it became a product of the of the environment as far as as in wrestling terms because it anybody that was came into the wrestling in the 80s that survived had to go from territory to territory if you were american go from territory to territory and wrestle different styles if you've watched enough um Territory rest, every place had a different style. Or there was different people coming in constantly with a different... So you had to just figure it all out. If you were in Britain, we had, you know, we all... There was different companies that... And to get into certain companies, you had to be of a certain standard. If you were considered to be a good wrestler in a certain weight class... And on one show, you could see some people that were excellent 
Uh, we talked about that in the match that, that I had, the first match with Finland the other week. The bill on that match it, when I was 18 was in just a normal place in England. It was phenomenal. And I'm getting to watch all that at 18. But I could be on other bills where people were okay. There was never anybody... Well, no, there was a few that were wrong. <laughs> but, there was, but you were watching constantly people that come from that era where you, you just had to learn certain things. And there were certain sequences of moves that you could, if you wanted to go to Europe, if you didn't know certain sequences of moves, if you were British, you couldn't get in. You would have never lasted in Europe. Or you might have got there, but you wouldn't have lasted. And that was because there was, if I went to, say, I went to CWA in Germany, the British wrestlers had to be the wrestlers, the ones who could go out and do wrestle anybody and and do all kinds of stuff. But we all had, we all knew. There wasn't a time when I hadn't been shown how to do certain sequences of moves. So I could just see that somebody was doing that or they just they could just say one word. And I, I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to be the one that gives all the way, but one word was enough that I knew that that was a sequence of moves. Right, right. Which well, was that- enough to keep some movement in the match instead of just wrestling on the floor. But if you were just wrestling just knowing how our proper wrist locks applied and knowing the, the, the counters to it and the escapes and, and, and I was just surrounded by that. So the, the less that, that, that once the, the last people that were ever taught that real, that way in Britain, the, the last person ever was James Mason. And then, other people and, and Frankie Sloan and people were, were, were came along at the same time and then different people, but to be able to do that and then other people picked it up from them or picked it up from the older wrestlers and I know like somebody like Steve Gray, who was, if you've never watched Steve Gray, watch Steve Gray. Steve Gray is fantastic and was a, and still a, a great friend of mine. And, and, but he was, he was like a top lightweight. And and he was one of the guys, Steve Gray was one of the guys that there was a match. I know this from, the, I've heard from the tape traders and the, the young wrestlers who came into the job in the early 2000s. There was a match of Steve Gray and Iron Fist. That actually is hard to find now. The, the one match that used to be around on tapes then that got everybody in, hooked on British wrestling. And then Johnny, there was Johnny Saint matches and stuff. But Steve Gray was phenomenal. Well, Steve Gray took James Mason under his wing um, and so passed on all these things. And, and, then, and then other older wrestlers, Marty Jones, who trained me, would take certain people if, if he thought they were going to stick around. And, so, and that's the same in Mexico when I've talked to Mexican guys, lucha guys, the ones... The, the group that came to WCW in 96, Conan group. brought, yeah, Conan group, the, the promo, uh, the Azteca guys, mm-hmm. which were all, I believe, AAA guys to begin with. 
and that they were trained very, very differently than, you know, like a few years later and a few years later. And then there's still, there's a very old, but there's a lot of older wrestlers there that still train people and they, they put people through it. They're not, you're not just 12 weeks in a wrestling school. You get hammered. And that's why the Japanese system still works. You get, if you can't handle it, you get run off. Right? And so they get trained in the fundamentals. It, it sounds mentioned like, this before, not yeah. basics. There's no such thing as basics in wrestling. It's fundamentals. You do not need any more than that. But they're trained properly in them, not just a quick few weeks on them and then move on to the next thing. You are made to do them a thousand times minimum so you can do them from any angle, from any any position, so you can keep going. You can go from one thing to the next to the next without any separation. And just it's nobody's fault. It just became less of that and more of structuring things and more of people. And, and in some uh, – you know, I stay out of the wrestling bubble world. You're out. You're out. You're I'm out of it. Lizards. You know that. It's you and you the know, lizards. You know that. Yeah. But right. the the people who critique wrestling started like expecting more from people, and so now all of a sudden, instead of what would you know, Goodfellas or the commitments or Raging Bull get in today from a critic who's who's <laughs> trying trying to first of all used to Marvel movies for the last twenty years and nothing but bang 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 everything changes or if you're trying to keep in the keep a, 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 a living. You've got to go with the times, whether you think it's good or bad. If you want people to actually read what you're writing, you are going to stick with the modern audience. Otherwise, you get no new subscribers. So I'm all, I understand all this, and, and, and I understand that everybody or everybody's views are different. I, I, I used to go to PWG, right? The only time I've ever read wrestling reports was when I'd see, I, I, I would go to people PWG. And the reason being I used to read them is because, again, we might have mentioned this before. Everybody else is looking from a seat up. I used to stand at eye level and I could see through the tricks. And if anybody asked me, I never went up to anybody, I'd say, maybe you want to work on that because that trick will get exposed on TV. If you're looking up and you can't see the trick, I used to work, we, we know, I used to work at, at, I started, my major career was at Blackpool Pleasure Beach in a cabaret room called the Horseshoe Show Bar. We could do wrestling from 12 o'clock midday till 5 o'clock. Five o'clock, they had, we had to clean out because they changed the room up, took the ring down, changed the room up, and there was a cabaret, there was a magic show in there. 
I went to see this magic show called Mystique several times, and I was amazed. A guy called Russ Stevens, and he was he was a magic inventor. And I saw that show, and I was amazed. I made the major mistake of one day when I was, I don't know, 18 or whatever, going and looking at the props and then figuring out there was a hole in the stage and figuring out if I actually saw from a different view that I could see the mirrors and the... And I stopped looking. Nigel McGuinness is an expert magician. Whenever he shows me a trick, or whenever he did, I haven't seen him for a while, I've never once asked him how he did it, because I love close-up magic. I didn't want to know how he did it, because that, again, I learned that from big illusions watching it. It's all, everybody's different view of it. All the wrestlers have this thing of, well, in back in my day, well, we did this. Yeah, well, now it's not that way and you have to keep moving and, and you have to do incredible things and people do incredible things. I appreciate it all. I do like when you do your tricks well or when you learned. I don't expect you to know that beginning, but I, I think by the time you're a certain age or length of the job, you should have figured your tricks out. Sometimes people get worse. I don't know how they do that, but it doesn't matter because, again, I in my brain, I go, actually, they, they figured I, – I applaud them because I go, actually, they figured it out. They're not, they're not having to do any of the, 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 the close-up magic stuff because the audience loves them. That's all that matters. I've said this before, but we are an act, and it doesn't matter how good you are it's connecting with either the people who are paying you or the, the audience. That's all that matters. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, Matt, you're a music guy. Some people are the best musicians in the world and they can't put 200 people in a club. And some of the absolute worst can sell out every arena in the, in the world. And that's as much a talent as anything. And some people can do both. And that's, what it is so that's really what wrestling is uh, things just evolved so when you ask me i know this has been a long answer oh, but great, though. when you ask me about why it was just sim things was simpler then or there was there was communication but also there's, there's another thing that we, we we don't talk about much on this show there was communication between wrestlers but nobody went out and spilled the guts to everybody and told them all about it. It was kept in house. So not every fan knew what, what the ins and outs were, think they knew what the ins and outs were. And most wrestlers now, because they come from this time, don't know the ins, what the real ins and outs used to be. They have no concept because they didn't live in that world. They didn't know that if you messed up something, you would get smashed to pieces. And you wouldn't be in this job anymore. It's a very different world we're in. Now, Mr. Regal, we've talked about this a lot, maybe more than we should. But if I say it's time to bring that summer heat in the bedroom, you know that Blue Chew is sponsoring this podcast. Of course, Blue Chew is 
is a trailblazer in the world of sponsoring wrestling podcasts. And there's a good reason why, because everybody loves their product. And we all know that confidence can take you far in life. It really, it really can. Like you have no idea. Like I can't really do anything, but confidence helps get me there. It can also help in the bedroom, especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets. In a fraction of the cost, you can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead and be ready whenever an opportunity arises. You get it? Arises. The process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Bluechew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. Now, let me tell you that Blue Chew is something that a lot of friends of mine have used and swear by because just, I mean, that's that, that, that assuredness, that confidence, knowing that there's not going to be an issue. And of course, women say there's nothing sexier than confidence. And I would agree, uh, when thinking about myself, but Blue Chew can help give you the confidence where it counts. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform and who can't? Blue Chew can help, and we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code, GENTLEMAN, at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code GENTLEMAN, to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for again sponsoring the Gentleman Villain Podcast. And one of our magic tricks... At the William at uh, Gentleman Villain Ooh. William Regal podcast Ooh. is see oh, look at you I've even got you flustered now yeah for always nonstop but one of our magic tricks is being able to go an hour without getting into our topic and but that's the show yeah like you know see that's that's a, that's can I just stop I, you I love that again I don't want to sure. we we can go an hour without getting into the topic but again good because if we go an hour without getting into the topic it means no, another show that we can get into the topic absolutely and but also that's what makes the show great is a question like you know uh or an answer to the question of how do wrestlers communicate and as a fan i get the answer i didn't think i wanted but it gave me all i really needed to know and with you wrestling in japan i'm sure you learned a lot um we talked a little bit about wrestling Inoki last time and you you wrestled a lot in New Japan in '94, uh, July of '94, and '94, um, '95, yeah, and '96, '97, October, and you're you're just all over Japan. Um, what is your uh, what is your enduring memory of that time? Like, what what is? I loved it. I loved it. I I I love wrestling in Japan. Um, I, I just loved it. I I. I <laughs> Everybody I wrestled, you knew that they'd gone through a similar situation to me. And it's still the same as far as I know. You know, you don't stay. If if you go through the New Japan Dojo, the Old Japan Dojo, uh, there's any dojo there, if you've actually survived that, you know that they've put the time in 
you know that they're not they're not play out people. There's a lot. Of, there's there's two differences when you go to Japan. There's people who get hired and work there, and there's people who go through their system. And that used to be the same in England, because I, as a, as, a, as even as a teenager, I used to think, how have they got a job? But then you find out the difference in how you've actually got there. If you go through their system, their, one of their dojos, unless you are a special person, for whatever reason, you've been put through it and you have done everything that we talked about a thousand times and you've done everything right and you have been dragged about and you have been had your head stuck up your backside and you have been taught right. And to get through, to get certainly through where I came from, you had to do the same thing. So um, it's, I think you can earn, like I, I mentioned on the last time we talked about this, I earned, because of the people who knew me and because of when I got there, I, I, of who I wrestled and the way I wrestled and that I, whenever the young, the, what they call the young boys were, were training, I was doing the same training as them just off to the side. I didn't have to. I could have just been sat down in the bleachers or gone in the dressing room and lay down on the floor or lay on a table and gone to sleep for a bit like a lot of people I knew that went there did. I didn't. So I earned my spot there. I just wanted them to know that I'm not a I'm not one of these kind of people. Right, so but I got to wrestle the best of, of the best. All those people that, that were they were like minded people like me that that were professional wrestlers who worked not workers playing professional wrestlers. It's really a who's who of, of Japanese wrestling, especially the Japanese wrestling when I was a little bit younger. You know, you have Chono, you have Muda, you have um, Hashimoto, Tatsumi Fujinami. Like, you really did wrestle pretty much everybody. Um, everybody at that period of time, yeah. Everybody. Did, I, I know, you know. Everybody you know, that was a heavyweight, considered a heavyweight. Yeah, yeah I got I, I, very rarely did I, I ever wrestle the junior heavyweights, um, but because it was a strict thing, not, and, and something that I was used to in England, that, that there were certain people that were considered junior heavyweights. Um, I know I wrestled Eddie Guerrero as black, when he was Black Tiger, um, and I believe he was the was he this was the second Black Tiger Eddie. You um, also wrestled um, uh, Benoit uh, a bit as a. Yeah, and, he, and, and unfortunately, I don't know why Chris was considered a, a junior, but he was. But they they, they put us on together. Um, uh, yeah, I did. Um, it's funny because there was a clip showed up recently of m- myself against uh, Muta, mm-hmm. and I, it was just another another day at work to me. But you can see that I've got a black um, brace on my knee, and it's all taped up. Two weeks before that, I was in Japan 
and there's a match that's out there that was, t- you know, there's not there's so many matches I had, but there's only so many that were actually filmed. Um, I had a match that is, is on film of myself against Chris Benoit doing quite a long match. Well, at a certain point in that match, I go out the ring and Chris Benoit tries to baseball slide me and I move and there was a pu- puddle of water and I slipped and I, to this day, oh wow! if I look down now, my leg is, I have to keep it straight and I still do all my squats and whatever at my age, but I still do them. My tendons on the my right knee on the outside are overstretched. I ended up having to have an operation. I, I put it off and put it off and put it off and put it off for several months, more stupidly, more time than I, I should have done. It might have been okay, but it's it's never been right ever since. And my right knee is still not right. Uh, on on the not the knee, the actual tendons on the outside of my the run down into my calf on my right knee. Uh, and at, it's one of the few times I, 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 there was one more day to go on the tour and I couldn't wrestle the next day. Here's, a, here's an odd story. So the next night I get to the building. I think I can say this. Mr. Noki was a bit different in his way of thinking. And he had this, <laughs> this is 1995, he had this laser gun and, you know, like I wasn't, I come from a time when you just keep your mouth shut. Right. And I was like, my knee's, you know, like I'm not saying anything, but my knee's really bad. I'm really overstretched. And if you see the match with Chris Benoit from Japan in 1995, you'll see there's a bit, and it's not a a pro wrestling bit. I go to put my foot on the second rope at one point and I scream. It's because I'd, I'd, really damaged my knee. And he had this laser, this, it was a state-of-the-art thing, right, at the time, 1995. And this thing that shot this big laser beam out, and I'm lying in the training room, and they're trying to get me to to get my leg right, and it just wasn't. And I, and I didn't wrestle that night. So if, if any of the people who do the history look at that, you'll see that I didn't wrestle that night. It was my last night. I think it was. I could have got sent home, but I think it was the last night. I, I, so I, I maybe only missed one day, but I could have this wrong. I could have been sent home a little bit early. I, I know I didn't wrestle again after that match with Chris. And he's gone. I can cure it. And he's picked my foot up, my leg, and he's got this laser. He's gone on my foot. I couldn't feel anything. But he went, okay, you're good to go now. And I got up and nearly fell over. <laughs> 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 nearly fell over. When I stood up, <laughs> it's like <laughs> Billy Graham, right? With a, didn't, didn't, didn't hit like that. Didn't, with- didn't work the way he th- thought it was. And 
I've heard a few stories like that, but that's, again, not my business to tell. But this was one that happened to me. So you got this thing, this gun with this laser, this big this red light shooting out of the end of it. And it was like, in the bottom of my foot, and he went, right, you're okay now. And I stood up and nearly fell over. <laughs> it did. So it's just, well, remind, have we got time for a quick joke? What? Sure. A lot of you young ones won't remember this. But there used to be a very famous man in America called Billy Graham, who was an evangelist. Remember that, Matt? Yes, sir. Uh, Billy right. Graham, his son Franklin, I think, still does stuff. Okay, does he still do pull off that lot of old nonsense? I don't think they do that. Okay, right, right. Well, it was a lot of old cobblers, yeah. all of it. Well, he came over to, this is just an old gag. He came over to England, and he was at the, the London Palladium. Well, it's a 5 tier theatre, the London Palladium. You know, it's just five balconies. And he came out on stage. He said, uh, people of London, is there anybody here that needs curing? And a fella stood up on crutches and he, and he said, Mr. Graham, I'm a great admirer of yours. And I, I was born without the use of my legs and I've always needed these crutches. Can you, can you cure me? He said, Son, it'd be, this is my American accent, by the way. Oh, I'm loving it. Go ahead. Yeah. He said, son, it'd be an honor. The Lord's going to heal you. Please. And he had two of his helpers. Go and help this man on stage. And he brought him up on stage, and there's a big screen at the back of the stage. He went, please help that man behind the, behind the screen. So they take him behind the screen. He said, is there anybody else that needs curing? And the fella stood up, oh, this might not sit well, this is an old gag, with a speech impediment. He said, can you hear me, me thing, Graham? <laughs> and, uh, this, <laughs> um, what is your problem? So, well, he said, what, what do you think's my problem? So I was mom in this big impediment thing. He said, I need help. He said, the Lord will cure you. And he helped him on stage. He said, go and stand behind the screen. So he goes behind the screen. He said, brothers and sisters here in London, let's all pray together. He said, man with a crutch, throw your left crutch over the screen. And this, all the people can see is this screen. And this left crutch comes over the screen. And it's the floor. And they all go, hallelujah. He said, man with the crutches, throw your right crutch over the screen. And this... Crutch comes over the top of the screen and it's the stage and they all go, hallelujah, you're cured. He said, man with a speech impediment, speak. And he went, this fella's fell over. <laughs> and he went, so, so that was how I felt when that joke was going through my head as Mr. Noak is going, mm, with this, this thing. And then he went, get up and walk. And I nearly fell over. So the, the match with Muta, I went home. Two weeks later, I've got to go back again just for one match. It was just one match. Whatever that match was, it just showed up with Muta. I had to go for a one-day tour. So I'm back in I, – I flew right from Japan with a, bad, with a really bad knee back to Orlando because we were taping WCWs worldwide at either Disney or Universal. We used to swap. And for some unknown reason – not only have I got a dodgy knee and it's been completely creamed, 
I thought, I'm going back in two weeks. I'm going back in two weeks. It's going to be okay, which it wasn't. So if you see that little clip of that match, I had a, a seriously bad knee. I still, to this day, do lots of Hindu squats. I couldn't do a quarter of a Hindu squat. My knee was that bad. I remember being in the arena that day of the match with Muta, trying to do step-ups on on a step about eight inches tall, and I couldn't do them. I was struggling. Wow. But that was the job. That was just what you did. God, what was going through my head, I do not know. And I can't remember if I do did any of these Disney tapings. Again, this is a long time. This is 1995. But I know we were staying at this hotel in Orlando, and I was thinking, do you know, I'll do a moonsault in this match. I'll yeah. I'll I'll do I'll pile driver him and I'll do a moonsault on top of him. So with a bad knee, I'm stood on the edge of the pool at the hotel after we've done these tape or I, I did or didn't do these tapings again. I don't know because I had a really bad knee, but I think I did them because I think I just put a brace on it and taped him up, because I did this match two weeks later with Muta, and because I'm stupid, <laughs> I just I did, never never would say I was injured, and I just kept working, which would have been a smart thing for me not to do a lot of times in my career. I'm stood on the edge of the pool. When we finished these tapings, we'd get back about 6 o'clock at night, right? And I'm stood at the edge of the pool, basically on one leg going and landing in the pool. And I thought, well, that's easy enough. It's easy enough, isn't it? I'm doing it on one leg. Right. It's easy enough. Should be able to do in the match. Yeah. Right. Why not? Yeah. Two weeks later, I fly back to Japan, which obviously didn't do me knee a lot of good with all the, you know, we know now, because you didn't know in those days. Well, I didn't know about icing your knee and doing, looking after it and getting physiotherapy and having it looked at and, you know, because you just didn't say anything because you were an idiot because you'd been brought into the job, like don't complain about anything. So <laughs> I fly back to Japan, so it's obviously all creamed anyway, and I, I've i got this knee brace on and it's all taped up. And, I, and, and if you see, there's a lot of matches that, that I did for the next... In fact... Right until we talked about the other week, the Fit Finley match, where he dragged me out the ring the first time. Right, right. The, this is how this is how things. See, now we're talking things I remember. He dragged me out, the, and I've got my knee brace on. After that first initial thing that me and Fit did, I we did a, a show at Caesar's Palace, I believe, yeah. at some point, and then. I did a, a match with Sting and me and Bobby against me and Bobby Eaton against Sting and Luger, and I I wrestled the dark match because there was nobody to wrestle the dark match with Chris Benoit, and I right. offered with a bad knee, and then went out and did a pay view. But after that, it was shot. It was completely shot. My knee was shot, so I had the operation, and then I got myself back. In three weeks, I was back wrestling again, stu- stupidly in, in without any therapy, to do the thing with Fit Finley. And again, you'd have to look at the dates to see exactly when this was, but no, it, whatever it was, it was right. idiotic. On my part, it was idiotic. I should have just said, look, I can't 
after the, the first match, the first time in Japan, I should have got it looked at and I didn't because I just, I was always taught these stupid things. Not stupid, just the way the job was. Don't complain and do your job. So I go back and do this match with Muta. I've never done, me, I don't go on the top rope apart from a double arm suplex off the door, a butterfly suplex, as you call it, off the top rope. Well, there's one in that. You can see that I'm struggling a bit. And I pile driving him and I climb on the top rope and I get up there and I think, oh, Jesus, what am I doing up here? Right. All of a sudden it's hit me with the pant. Not only have I got a dodgy leg, I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> this isn't for I, like I, doing it off a pool into the in the into the the water is one thing. Me doing it off the t- I get up there and it's like I might as well be stood on the top of the brilliant Empire State Building. Right, right. I, I'm like completely out of my depth. Oh, and I just like jump backwards and sort of land on my head, as you can see in <laughs> yeah. this clip that showed later, and smash me, just smash myself to to death on the floor. And then he picks me up and, like, does a moonsault on me. But that was the mentality of a 20-odd-year-old young wrestlers. Know what you can and can't do. Yeah, the, the one and only Regal Salt uh, with a bad leg. Uh, and, of course, those moments of doubt on the Idiotic. top row didn't, didn't help you either. Right, uh, so that was the match with Moosa. Science, Mr. Regal, tells us that the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep, as you know, is by lowering core body temperature. If I had a nickel for every time I couldn't get to sleep because I was just too hot. I didn't know that's what it was, but you flipping the pillow over, changing blankets, changing positions, didn't realize it was the temperature. And if you can control your temperature in temperature-controlled sleep, it repairs your muscle after a hard day's work and improves cognitive function so you can always start your day feeling Sharp and alert, of course, but also, and most importantly, for me, helps me get to sleep and helps me stay asleep. Now, sleep.me is the new home for Chili Sleep. We are bringing you the same great sleep that Chili Sleep offered, but under a new name. Sleep Me makes the coldest and most comfortable sleep systems available. They create the environment that meets the body's natural need for lower core temperatures, promoting cooler, deeper, Sometimes hotter, but definitely deeper restorative sleep. Chili Sleep makes the Uller Cube and Dock Pro Sleep Systems water-based, temperature-controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide your ideal sleep temperature. These mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep, cold sleep. These sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. They also just launched the new Dock Pro Sleep System, which has two times more cold power than the other models, is whisper quiet, and has a tubeless mattress pad design that allows for five times more cooling contact. If you pair it with the new Sleep.me app, you get enhanced device control and sleep scheduling. Now, like I said, I've had trouble sleeping in the past. I don't sleep well. Formerly Chili Sleep, now Sleep Me is the answer. But I tell you, this Sleep Me is a great idea. And if you want to get in on this, what you should do is head over to sleep.me slash regal to learn more and save 25% off the purchase of any new Doc Pro, Cube, or Uller sleep system. This offer is available exclusively for gentleman villain listeners 
and only for a limited time. That's sleep, S-L-E-E-P, dot me, slash regal, to take advantage of our exclusive discounts and wake up refreshed every day. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. You you did a tour in 1994 in July, and then that, that was a lot of tag team matches with Max Moon, but you're facing us. But without me getting ever beat. That was the whole point because I had to wrestle Mr. Anoki. Did I I tell you this about Mr. I never told you this story on the last time. When I had to wrestle Mr. Anoki in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Why? Nobody cared. Anyway. um, Cedar. That's a hotbed of British and Japanese wrestling. Oh, yeah. (laughs) In Iowa. Oh, I. Oh, I. Good, good, good stuff. Across the street, there was a hotel, a big tower block hotel. And I was summoned in the daytime by the Japanese security, uh, which is basically because Mr. Anoki was in the diet. Now, could just be regular security guards. I'm just assuming because he was in the Japanese diet that it's like the Japanese version of the FBI. Summons by them to go and have a meeting in the hotel across the street in the afternoon. Okay. We go over. Mr. Noki has the entire top floor to himself. So I'm taken up by these fellas that are going, talking to each other on microphones. Again, I'm 20-odd. Okay, this is all a bit different. Right. Right? Yeah. Up to the top floor, elevator. And it was like one of the movies where the elevator's open and you're right into, you don't usually see that, right into the hotel suite. Right, right. This is the private, private floor. I go in, Mr. Anoki sat there on the far side, like the godfather, like sat in the chair. And the security went to walk in, he went, no, you're out. So they just got in the in the elevator, the lift, and went. went. Just leaving there by yourself with Mr. Just Anoki. me and him. And I went, we talked about communication before, and he went, you hit me as hard as you can, and I'll hit you as hard as you can. And then, and I, I, this is something I would never have said years ago, but I'm going to say it because it plays into this story. Right. And then I will choke you out for the finish. And I went, okay. <laughs> and I just pressed, I pressed the elevator button, and it came back up with the same two security guards in. And I got in, and I went down, and that was it as far as communication. And I and I did I tell this story about I let him choke me out. I'm not sure. So he he told me to tap on the secu- on the choke. Right. Again, stupidity and not knowing any better at 26, 27, 26 when I, I was in that match. We start off. And I'm, I don't know what I'm expecting because I've never wrestled a fellow who's fought Muhammad Ali before. 
Right. Or is Mr. Anoki. Yeah. And we sort of square up to each other and he just goes bang, bang, and palm strikes me in the face. With a left and a right. Where I'm from, if you slap somebody in the face, is the biggest insult you can do to a grown man. And I see fellas doing it now. Uh, I, I get it. It's just different times. If you did that to to anybody where I'm from, at, at that where I grew up, you might as well go and set fire to the to the children. It is the worst insult you can do is slap somebody in the face. And he's just gone bang, bang, and I've just gone bang, bang, straight back. And it continued, and then I got him, and I just smashed the hell out of him for the entire match. And I'm I'm smashing him, and he's gone. He was 51, and he hadn't had time to train, and he, he still looked great, but I just – that match, if you ever watch it, it, it was people, whatever. I was just laying into him at about 80% capacity. But the first thing I did, one of the first things I did was knee him and I need him right in the sternum and it knocked the wind out of him and he was done in. And at one point I'm on top of him trying to get him to do something because he's just, he's done. And Nick Patrick, the referee went, we got six minutes to go. And he went, oh, <laughs> I'm just like bang, bang. And there was a, in my mind because of, me watching Japanese wrestling, I'm going to double arm super, uh, butterfly suplex him because Billy Robinson, I'd seen him do it and I wanted that picture. And there was a fella, a Scottish fella called Colin, I forget his last name, he used to do the pictures for WCW magazine. I told him, Colin, I don't know when I'm going to get this in, but get this picture in, I want this, which I've I've put on Twitter a few times as a picture of me double arming uh, uh, butterfly suplex in Mr. Anoki. I had to deadlift him off the floor and get, I had to get that on him and pick him up because he was like <sighs> gasping for air because I'd, he'd hit me and I just, every time he hit me, he hit me really hard and I hit him really hard. And he told you to. And he told me to. So yeah. I'm just doing what I'm told. I'm battering, I mean, smashing the liver. I'm bang, bang, kneeing him. But I'm trying not to eat. I'm like, I'm like, like not hitting him like this, but I'm kneeing him. And, I'm like, and every knee is, I'm go, I'm laying it, laying it in about 80% as, as, as much as I could do. But I get him and I pick him up and I get that double arm suplex in. And Colin got the picture. So, and then when it come round, I'm sort of feeding in my head, it's time to go home, it's time to go home. When it, the time was right, and he put the choke on me and I let him choke me out for real. I was not going to tap. I, I'd made my mind up before I go into this match. I am not going to tap because I know, and this is, again, you don't know any better. Stupidity as a 20-odd-year-old. I know he's going to put it on tight and he wants me to tap. I am not going to tap because I know, this is my 26-year-old brain thinking, I know it will put me over with him better if I let him put me out to sleep. And I have no reason to, to lie about this. He put that on as tight as he could, and I went out before I knew it. Because I'd been put out before a few more than a few times. Right. And I didn't think there was anything wrong. I just thought he got asleep. 
now knowing that that's not the smartest thing to do. But I didn't know that in 1994. And he puts that on and I'm out before I know it. And then the next thing I know, Nick Patrick is lifted, going, Steve, you okay? You okay? And I'm going, yeah. And then I came out and, and I, I was like, well, that match didn't, wasn't good. And I came out and Terry Funk was working for WW, WCW at the time. And he was with Colonel Parker stable uh, with Bunkhouse Buck and I believe Dick Slater. And I said to Terry, I went, oh, in fact, I didn't say anything to Terry. Terry just went, he just gave me that. And he went, that's, okay. exa- that's exactly what he would, would have wanted. Oh, wow. That's and I went, okay, thanks. And I remember just going back to the dressing room and getting on with it. But, so I, I don't know if I if I have told that before. I'm so I apologise, but that is the that is the true story of that. I, I, more, I more smashed the life out of him for for my son has only just recently seen that match. Recently, and not because of me, somebody else had told him, and he he looked it up, and he just sent me a text because he lives in England, and he. And he said, I've just seen that match with you, Mr. Anoki. I went, yeah. He said, it just looks like you're beating up an elderly fan. <laughs> beating up an elderly fan. And I went, that's about the right, that's about what it sums up to be. Yeah, that's, that's what it turned into. Yeah. But was, a, a, a higher profile match, I mean, you could not ask. Couldn't have asked for. Than, than the Again, legend. nobody in America cares. Right. I know that in Japan, that is still a thing. Uh, it means something to the people that buy into into Mister that, that buy into whatever and Mister Anoki's presence and and the the mythology of Mister Anoki. I know because you know you, you you must have heard of the shop. Um, that there's a, a shop in uh, near the Tokyo Dome that has all the oh yeah right, right. yeah. So I went in there in 2016 with Canyon Seaman when we were, we were there scouting Canyon was only there for a few days. And then I stayed for two weeks. We went into that shop and there's a back room in that shop, a back room that is full of only prize possessions. One of them being a, a big bronze busk of, um, I'm sorry, my brain's going now. Uh, the, the, the the incredibly famous Ricky Dozan. There's a bronze busk of Ricky Dozan in this back room, and there's only a few things in there. And this gentleman who owns it took me and Canyon in there, and one of the things that is in there, which is a, this special back room, he went, hmm. And it was the VHS video recording of me and Mr. Noki. Wow. That's great. So, so whenever anybody wants to say, ah, oh, they don't this or that, and that, I know what, what it meant to me. And what it meant to others. And know. to certain people. Yeah. If there was another moment that, that maybe could compete with you and Mr. Noki, I'm guessing it might be the time, and people might not know this, uh, that Mr. Regal competed for the IWGP championship against uh, uh, Hashimoto. That must have been something. So the first one was uh, 
there was not there was two matches that were singles matches that we had that I know of because they were both filmed. Um, again, somebody. I, There's one I, in '95, uh, and then one in '96. Yeah, the one in '95. I, I think I believe I was the first British person to ever challenge for the IWGP Championship. That was a big deal to me, especially in a, a twenty mid twenty year old. There's a part in that match where you see me go off on somebody in the crowd. And if anybody's ever watched it, if they wonder why, it was either an American or a Canadian serviceman who was based over there, said something very um, derogatory towards Hashimoto. And I, because... Being in America is one thing. Being in England is one thing. When you go to Japan and the history and you know what people have gone through to get into the wrestling job, I took that very seriously. I trained very hard for that match. I did a lot of things. You know, that, was a, 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 that wasn't a, a play-out thing to me. That wasn't just another day in the wrestling. That was an honour to me, sure. right, that I, I, I'd been put in that position. And I turn around and I start pointing at somebody because he called Hashimoto something that I'm not going to say on this podcast. And I, but the rest of the match is pretty hard hitting and, and whatever else because that was just the way it was. The, the second match we had, which is the one that most people haven't seen, or most people who watched of, it's the one from 96, was actually a WCW tour. I was in England at the time. In 1996, I was in England at the time. And I, I, I was just there for a few weeks. And I was going, I did two t- different tours to Japan and then back again to England. I was spending a f- few weeks of the summer in England and I wrestled some shows in England and I wrestled a show in Germany against Tony Sinclair, CWA show. I think I've mentioned that on there because on this show before because Tony, um, um, fit Finley at the ring at the end of the, I believe it was, I believe it was 15 three minute rounds we did. Um, something like that. I was a WCW TV champion at the time. And I went, I went over and the, the September, I believe it was September in of 86, uh, 96. I, I wrestled Hashimoto for the second time at the Corrigan Hall which is a very famous wrestling venue in Japan. Uh, The second one is more memorable to me. The first one was incredible, but it's a bit of a blur that... It was was part of a tournament, I think. Uh, It was a New Japan Pro Wrestling US All-Star Tournament. The second second one. Yeah, you were in the second round. But Uh, the first one was such a a blur of... What am I do- again? The same thing we've talked about on here. What am I doing at twenty mid twenties wrestling for the IWGP Championship? Right. Doesn't make any sense. I used to work on a carnival, and there you are. And there I am. What am I doing here? I'm still a fan, and I'm going. What am I doing in this? Why am I here? Doesn't make sense. So, well, like when I. You know, like Zach and and Will and people doing that stuff now, and and actually become IWGP. I'm like, you have no idea. Well, yes, I think they do, but I don't know. No, they don't. 
they don't have what a, a thing that was in the 90s or the 80s that was a it was a big thing to be to be a part of anything like that it was a huge thing right so but the second match was still a huge thing well again this is only with long time japanese fans and i didn't find this out till about 5 years ago because i was at a, an evolve show and after the the show we, i went to korean barbecue with gabe sapolsky and as uh, sal and they had a couple of japanese uh friends of theirs with them and they started talking about the match i had with hashimoto in 96 and i went all oh, right uh, you know cuz it, again it's just another day at work for me right But apparently and this is all down to hashimoto not me i was the first person to ever kick out of both of his finishes in that right. match in 96 and i all i remember of it is me having this match I remember coming out and Rick Flair being on the bus and as I got on the bus Rick Flair went that was an incredible match you just had which was nice you know I'm not one for praise or anything but to hear Rick Flair say that is a big thing because sure. I was main event on that show you know there's another thing I was main event on that show right and I'm just a journeyman bit player wrestler but I was main event on that show because Ashimoto really liked me and really again the following year I was part of New Japan's team which wasn't a usual thing for foreigners I was I was is us against the NWO I was treated very differently than a lot of people there which we talked about on the last episode but Rick Flair had said that but I, i never thought anything it was just another night at work and another match i went back to england and then i came back to america a week later or whatever uh because my wife was pregnant with my youngest son who's now in this job how badly um and then these people started telling me yeah because and and I, it's funny because um Oh, this is where my brain goes and what this is really embarrassing that I've, I've got to in uh Fanaki okay. um WWE Fanaki yeah. Fanaki said that he was he, he told me once he went oh I was in the audience for that he was a fan and was in the audience oh, wow. for me against and he he he, he mentioned this but I, it, it didn't didn't click with me until we were just sat down because when I'm at, when I'm at a wrestling show my brain's going a thousand miles an hour so if you tell me something I'm still thinking about I was sat down having some food with some fans and they said oh yeah you were the first person that it ever kicked out of Hashimoto's finish two finishes the DDT and the brainbuster and I went oh I never thought about that and I found out that is a fact since then and I'm sure somebody will come up and say it wasn't because it will be on a live event somewhere but as far as I know this is what I was told whether it's true or not I don't know but nonetheless what a honor I mean what a but that wasn't that wasn't what I know I, I just know that 
And to be honest, after the brain buster, I wish he'd have said, I wish he hadn't have said kick out because I, I, I <laughs> having the neck that I, I had at the time that was hurting a lot and my, that brain buster was right on top of your head oh, with all your body weight. It's not a pleasant thing. I don't get brain buster. I don't get that move at all. It's one of them things that it's just, I've never done it. I don't know. It, it, it's, it's this far off crippling somebody for life. But that's not me to get no in. That's more a now. different discussion, and people still do it. I'm like, why? When you can do a regular suplex, most people don't know the difference. A regular vertical suplex, why are you even contemplating dropping somebody on their head? I don't know. But that's not for me to discuss now. And so, apparently, I was the first person to ever kick out of his DDT and his brain buster in that one match. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I've been told. And that would all be down to him just taking a liking to me and the way I did my th- my business and my style and him letting me do that. So that is another thing that adds to my myth in Japan. And I think we've we've gone off, unless you've got anything more, I think we've gone off enough. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. I'm telling you, Working with kids, I notice a lot of effects of the quarantine. You know, I'm not taking a stand either way. Matter of fact, I was kind of for it when it was going on because we didn't know what to do, try to keep people safe. But now I'm seeing a lot of mental health issues dealing with the quarantine and myself included. I I don't think for someone who is kind of a loner and a kind of a person who's by himself a lot to, uh, you know, have a system where they just have food delivered and dropped off at their front porch. Not sure that's good for the mental health. So I found myself kind of leaning in and I kind of myself got a little bit of help. And I'm trying to encourage anybody out there who's a fan of the Gentleman Regal podcast or anybody else uh, to get some help too. And better help is a great way to do it. Now, it can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem solving mode when faced with a challenge in life. I know for myself, I'm better helping other people with their problems. But to find my own solutions, it was it, it's always been difficult. But there's no better feeling. And as I will tell you, a therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small. For me, as someone who, uh, you know, the people I know either work for me or I don't see them that much or, you know, just bouncing the ideas off uh, and hearing them out loud that swim around my head is a great use of a therapist for myself. Um, For me, again, I tried therapy for the first time because uh, of the quarantine. And I noticed I was getting a little too agoraphobic and uh, it was kind of what I expected, but something I was afraid to take the jump with and uh, better help is a great way to kind of take the jump. And, you know, I'll tell you why, because if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, it, it is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. Uh, which is what I need to do because most things I do are inconvenient, inaccessible, and not affordable. But this is and entirely online. You get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and you can switch therapists at any time, which is important because sometimes we think, hey, I'm in therapy now, but we're not thinking, is this the right therapist for us? We feel like we've taken that big step, but it's might be even unrealistic for you to expect that first therapist ever, especially, is going to be the right one. So uh, you can switch any time you want. And what you do to sign up with BetterHelp, 
is uh, you just visit BetterHelp.com slash gentlemen today to get 10% off your first month. That's pretty good. That's BetterHelp.com slash gentlemen. Take that first step today. BetterHelp can help you. And we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. One person that you wrestled uh, quite a bit, um, you know, you wrestled a lot of different people, but someone you wrestled in tags and singles with uh, recently announced that they were going to retire and was going to retire. Yes, sir. Mr. Muda, as a fan, uh, that's really uh, a lot of our first entry into Japanese wrestling was seeing that guy. And that guy was special. He was uh, something else. Can you talk a little bit about Muda uh, wrestling him? Uh, right. The impact he's had and, and how you feel about his retirement. So the first, in the late 80s, they started to show WCW in on ITV in England. And it was at about, it changed times, but in, in the Northwest area where I lived, TV is broken up into different areas in England. ITV comes is the head banner, but it's it was when I lived in England broken up into certain areas. Well, in the Granada area, which is the northwest, which was covered Manchester, Liverpool, Blackpool, and all the northwest Lancashire of, of, of England uh, covered Lancashire. Um, WCW, whatever show they shot, they put out. Um, was shown between two or three o'clock in the morning. And (laughs) I was usually coming back, well, always coming back from a wrestling show. So the only people that saw WCW at that time were the occasional wrestler, maybe me, a lot of doormen that I knew because all clubs had to shut at two o'clock. Right. And loads of insomniacs. So that's my that was my first introduction to the great motor because he was on at that time. So I'm like, wow, this fellow's got a presence about him. And then he disappeared. And the only thing I ever heard about him was or saw about him because I used to get the occasional Japanese magazine. Then I came to America and you know, I knew he'd been in WCW and, and different whatever else. And then I got to Japan and I'm I'm on with him. And I've mentioned this about UWF Fanaki. Yeah. When you work, walk in a room and somebody has a presence about them that you just cannot explain, it's like a movie star. Muta had that presence. Chono has that presence. They just had something about them that you're going, wow, I get why everybody, not only that it's got nothing to do with it. Yes, they're incredible wrestlers. And they've got all three that I just mentioned have an incredible skill set. But that personal magnetism. It it didn't matter if they had, it wouldn't have mattered. There's a personal magnetism as you just so eloquently, uh, eloquently quoted, there's a personal magnetism about them that just capture, captures your imagination. And so from day one I met Muta, oh, right. Whew. And so 
I, I don't, because I know, and it's not, a, a, this is not a, something I'm, I'm spilling here. This is a, a normal thing. His knees have been shot since I knew him, which would have been 1994. I might, I'm not sure if he was in WCW when I was there in 93, but his knees have been shot because of all the moonsaults and landing on his knees. And he's been put together and he's gone out and he's been Muta or the great Muta and managed to keep an incredible career. I have nothing but admiration for that because my career was over when I was 45 because of a neck problem. I've got a bit of a suspect knee on the right right knee but it's not my actual needs. The tendons are overstretched, but it's still, that didn't stop me wrestling every night. How, how he's kept going all this time and still kept that mystique about himself and be as good as he is and adapt to the times. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm sad in a way. Because his his career's got to come to an end, or at least he says it. He says it. It's wrestling. It's wrestling. Yeah. Well, now he's older than me, so I mean, I'm fifty four. So it's what's he going to be? I don't know what his age is. Nothing but the best um, wishes for him, and and. Okay. One one nice memory I, I have I have great memories of always being around when I worked in New Japan. I loved being in New Japan. I loved it, absolutely loved it. Um, in the early two thousands, WWE we went to Japan for the first time in a long time, and I was Pat Patterson asked me to go on first, and I had already finished my angle, my what was going on with Edge. But me and Edge were on first, and he said, you you know this audience, don't you? Because we're not sure how the audience is going to react. Right. Because they'd heard conf- you, 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 you're conflicting things about how Japanese audiences are. You know, a lot of times they're very polite and just clap. Sometimes they stamp the feet. Sometimes they're vocal. And it's depending where you go. Every, every used to be. Every every place was different. You just adapted to it. No No problem for me. Can you go on first and and make sure everybody's right? I can honestly say that was the the one night in my life. Me and Edge both know this, and anybody that was there, we went out first, and there was nothing followed us. I rung that audience out that night. We both, well, not me, we both rung that audience out that night. Oh, it didn't matter because I knew how to do my stuff there. And I did a different, and I actually go back and ever watch the matches with me and Edge from when when I was asked to first wrestling. Very more of a Japanese influence to him because mm. I knew what they wanted to get out of him, which was to make him look like a tough guy. And he'd been in the tag team with Christian, and so I went out there specifically, and whether they hold up now for more than they did at the time. You go and watch them now, you go, oh, wow, they were doing stuff that nobody in WWE was doing at the time, the way we were doing it. But I, my orders were, 
can you go and make this guy look like he can take a beating? And I did. And he hung in there and then he moved on. And it was laid out to me, he's going to move on to such and such and such and such. I was the first rung in the ladder of making him into being the star that he was. He became, as far as a singles competitor. And the Japanese audience uh, loved that stuff. So me and him, had, we just, we'd wrestled each other that many times in the last few whatever amount of months. You know, you see what you see on pay-per-view, but we were doing loads of live events together. We went out and we rung that audience out. Well, on the front row was Muta. And I got out the ring after the match and I just walked over to him. And because we we're all rivals and people in, in Japan knew that, he stood up and I shook his hand and people just cheered loudly. And I just walked out and left the ring to Edge. If so Edge could get the major, the main, main uh, the, which is my job, is not to take anything for me, it's to leave the, the good guy and to get the the the, accolade, the, applause, the, the accolades. That, that's the word I was looking for, and leave it with that. But I went over and shook his hand. He stood up and we smiled at each other and shook his hand, and that was the last time I saw him. I think that was 2001. Well, this so been, good for him. And, and as uh, Mr. Muda's career uh, ends, as ends another episode of the Gentleman Villain Podcast with Mr. Regal. Mr. Regal, this was another great episode. And, of course, we want to thank all the people that work on the show, from Wesley to Steve to Dominic to Derek. Thanks, course, fellas. Dave Green and Conrad, thank you guys so much. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you out there for listening to the Gentleman Villain Podcast with William Thanks. Woo Wings, a virtual restaurant concept from the man himself, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with your Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Florida, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa in Alabama, with many more locations coming soon. Try the only chicken wings worthy of carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion. Tell them, Nate. Wings! Legendary flavors! World championship wings! Woo! Woo Wings! Yeah! Woo-woo!